Okay, Aguna Rav Shabbos, everyone. Shalom Aleichem. It's your favorite time of the week. You've been waiting for this all week. And I know you think that this week you're going to find the answers to the questions. Nah, even this week, you're not going to have the answers to the questions. Maybe, maybe you could try. We'll see. But we have a lot of very important questions this week. And this week, because uh, we're, we're starting our campaign, Matzah Shabbos, so we're going to give a, a little plug again for the campaign. The campaign begins 10 p.m. Matzah Shabbos for our base Medrash. You know, we have an amazing thing in our base Medrash we just instituted. Right when you come in, there's a big cabinet that's built. And inside the cabinet are lockers. And this way, when you come into the shul, you take out your phone and you put it in the locker. And actually, the lockers have chargers. So this way, while you're diving, you could charge your phone. And you don't make the great mistake of bringing your phone into the shul. Many people make the great mistake of bringing the phone to the shul. They say, I'll put it on vibrate. So they're making the big mistake of not davening that day. They didn't daven that day. Because if their phone is on vibrate, then they're not davening to Hashem with all their heart. And they're going to have to come up to Shamayim. And Hashem's going to say, why didn't you daven to me? They said, what do you mean? I was there for an hour. I said every word. No, no, no. Davening is l'chol levavchem. And they said, oh, where was I supposed to put my phone? So if anyone's listening to the shir, if there are any rabbanim out there, it's the job of every rav to make sure that there is a cell phone locker in the shul so that people actually daven. Now, don't make the mistake when you're home to daven from your phone. I'm sure that you have enough siddurim in your home to daven from an actual siddur. If you're lacking a siddur, please contact us immediately and we'll be very happy to send you siddurim for Shabbos, for Yom Tif. Now, I hope you're not using your phone on Shabbos. Some people, they're so, they use their phone for davening, they forget they use it on Shabbos also. So if you need a siddur, we have many siddurim waiting to be sent to anybody who might need a siddur. Anyway, our campaign starts at 10 p.m., um, it's really an opportunity to have a share in um, the shirim that reverberate well beyond the walls of our base medrash. Whatever you can do to help us out, charity.com slash MMH. Some questions on the parsha. Okay, I need help with uh, some of these questions. This question, I think I've been bothered by it for many years, but I, I this year I formulated very clearly. And I have never heard a good answer to this. Rashi wants to know, why is the Parsha Maraglam juxtaposed to the Lashon Hara of Miriam? Ah, uh, because Miriam was punished for speaking Lashon Hara, and the Maraglam did not see and take Musar. Could someone help me out over here? What do you mean, what kind of Musar? Miriam spoke about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is a Jew. You're now to speak Lashon Hara about a Jew. The Maraglam weren't speaking about a Jew. They were speaking about a land. A land is not a person. A land has no feelings. A land is not insulted. So how in the world are they supposed to know that if Moshe's, if Miriam spoke about Moshe Rabbeinu, who's a Jew, that there's an Isser Dairaisa to speak about? Who said you're not to speak about a land? Why can't you speak about Eretz Yisrael? Eretz Yisrael's not a person. Where does it say in the Torah that you're not to speak Lashon Hara about an inanimate object? It says somewhere you can't speak Lashon Hara about a base Hamikdash or about 
Chavtza Shel Mitzvah. What is what is Miriam's lashon hara got to do with the Miraglam? Could someone please tell me where is there any source that you can't speak badly about an inanimate object? Where does this come from, even? Anyone have any idea? Well, I don't understand Rashi. I don't understand the chid of the Miraglam b'chalal. What was the Avera? They spoke about Eretz Yisrael. Where does it say you're not to speak about Eretz Yisrael? Where does it say that that's lashon hara? It's Lashon Hara? If somebody speaks about a lulav, it's Lashon Hara? And if it is, where do we learn it from? It's a Kavachoymer from the Yisra Lashon Hara? Anybody have any thoughts on that? I mean, who's it? Yes, I saw in the Sefer from Yisrael Mayor Druk that he says, it's a funny Lashon it says, uh, Mikala Adam if that was true, you couldn't speak Lashon Hara about Borough Park, but you're allowed to. Right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, halachically, is that true? You're not allowed to speak Lashon Hara about Adama? It's only Eretz Yisrael, right? And, okay. And the fruits, right? They spoke Lashon Hara about the fruits. How do you know that? That's not Adama. Next question. It says that the the Maraglam returned El Midbar Paran Kadesha. Why does it say they returned to Kadesh? It doesn't say they were sent from Kadesh. It says Ayishach Moshe Mi Midbar Paran. It doesn't say Mi Midbar Paran Mi Kadesh. It says Mi Midbar Paran. So why by the sending is they only got sent from Midbar Paran, but on the return, they returned El Midbar Param Kadesha. Where, do, where does Kadesh come in all of a sudden? Next question. Rashi says, Nitna Roish. Chazal say, Roish is a Lashon of Avodah Zara. Why is it a Lashon of Avodah Zara? Why is Roish a Lashon of Avodah Zara? The Miraglam spoke Lashon Hara. What was the reaction of Yeshua and... What was the reaction of Moshe? He fell on his face. What was the reaction of Yeshua, Benun, and Kalev? They tore their clothing. Why'd they tear their clothing? For what? There's no Gezerah yet. There's no punishment yet. Why'd they tear their clothing? Moshe didn't tear his clothing. Aaron didn't tear his clothing. So what were they doing by tearing their clothing? So Yehoshua and Kalev, they say, no, it's a good land. It's a very, very good. What do the people want to do? They want to stone them. Why do they want to stone them? I mean, they want to kill, they want to kill them. Why do they want to kill them? I guess they think that they're a roide for something. Because they want to bring them into Eretz to get killed. What's the punishment? 
I mean, the only explanation for why the Jews wanted to kill Kalev and Yeshua is they must have held that they were a roidev. What's the punishment of a roidev? You kill them however you need to kill them. So why did they dafka want to give them skila? Okay. I want to share with you something. You know, Yeshua, he speaks good. Kalev, the whole time Yeshua is fighting them, fighting them, fighting them. Kalev, he's sort of putting on a game like, yeah, he's with them and then he, you know, stabs them in the back in the last second. And both Yeshua and Kalev survive. But Hashem says, And he followed me. What about Yeshua? What about Yeshua? Why doesn't Yeshua get any reward? I don't understand. Why is it this is a unfair treatment? Kalev He's awarded with Chevroin, and Yeshua gets nothing. Why wasn't Yeshua awarded? Why didn't Yeshua get uh, Ramat Beit Shemesh or something? Okay. Next. What was the punishment of the Miraglim? Rashi says, Mida Kineged Mida. They sinned with their tongue. So therefore, their tongue extended. But Rashi doesn't end there. Rashi says, Vinishtarbe Blashainam Ad Taburam. Rashi says, their tongue extended to the, until their navel. Rashi and Perak Yadalit, Pasuk Tezayin. Their tongue extended until their navel. I'm sorry. Rashi is in um, Yadalit Lamezayin. With worms crawling out of their tongue, crawling into their navel. I don't understand what Rashi is saying. Rashi is saying that they were punished with their tongue, because they sinned with their tongue. But what has their navel got to do with anything? Why are there worms crawling out of their tongue into their navel? If they sinned with their tongue, so they should have problems with their tongue. But what does their tabur have to do with anything? Apparently, there's something about the sin of the Miraglim that it wasn't just a sin with their Lashayim. It was a sin with their entire tabur as well. But that's something to think about. Okay. A few more questions. Now this really belongs with the uh, Ha'arais on Parshas Shlach. Vayapilu. You know the Ma'pilim? The Ma'pilim were the ones who sort of uh, jumped they jumped the gun and they ran up to go to Eretz Yisrael and the Amalekim destroyed them. So Rashi brings down the word Vayapilu that Vayapilu is a lotion of darkness. Says Rashi, they went in darkness without permission. 
Now that's very interesting. Would you say somebody who acts without permission is in darkness? And I have a question. If that's what it means, if Vayapilu is darkness, it should be with an Aleph, not an Ayin. You don't spell darkness with an Ayin. You spell darkness with an Aleph. The answer is there's two kinds of darkness. You know, in Lashon HaKodesh, there is... Um, there is... Darkness, physical darkness, which is afela. But there's another kind of darkness. We know that Aleph and Ayin are interchangeable, but there's a nuance of difference between them. Aleph is or, let's say Aleph with an, uh, uh, light with an Aleph is light, and with an Ayin it's hide, it's, uh, skin. Or Oishar with an Aleph is well-being, and with an ayin, it's uh, wealth, physical wealth. Usually, the ayin denotes physical. But in this case, it seems like it's the opposite. <clears throat> Oifel with an aleph means there's a physical darkness. Oifel with an ayin is afela in das. They're in darkness in terms of opinion, perspective approach, direction. So Vayapilu is they acted in darkness. The darkness was not a physical darkness. It's a different type of darkness. It's a darkness of Das. People who don't ask Rishos, people who don't ask uh, direction, people who don't ask advice, they're in darkness. It's not the darkness of an Aleph, it's a darkness of an Ayin. Okay, two more questions. Don't turn after your heart or after your eyes. Rashi says, the heart and the eyes are the two sarsure hachet, the two agents of sin. Rashi says, the, the eyes see, the heart desires. Well, if that's the case, the Pasuk is backward. It should say, Don't turn after your eyes and after your heart. First come your eye, your eye sees, and then comes your heart. And this is the biggest question of all. Ani Hashem Aleikecha. Right? The Pesach says, Ani Hashem Aleikecha. Masher hoitzei siyascham meyaretz mitzrayim. Li oislochem leloikim. Ani Hashem Aleikecha. Rashi wants to know, why does it say Ani Hashem Aleikecha again? <clears throat> says Rashi, it already said Ani Hashem Aleikecha. Now, mind you, Rashi says, Ani Hashem, in the beginning of the Pasuk, means I am Hashem to reward you, Eloikechem, to punish you. Says Rashi, why does it say again? So Klaiso shouldn't say, why did Hashem give us a mitzvah? So we should get reward. So we won't do the mitzvah, and we were Michael the reward. So Rashi says, no, against your will, I'm your king. Are you gonna, I'm going to punish you. I don't understand. Rashi already said that's what Eloikecha meant in the beginning of the Pasuk. Ani Hashem is reward. Eloikecha is punishment. <clears throat> so then it should... Why Why do we need to say again, Ani Hashem Eloikecha? We already know Hashem punishes. That's how Rashi interpreted the earlier part in the Pasuk. Okay, so those are the questions we have on Parsha Shlach. And uh, we're going to go to the Birat Filah. Do 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 do